Uh, next, next week is spring break. And, uh, and just, I know a number of you are going to be leaving early, but uh, Friday we're going to have a special chapel for those of you that are on campus. Um, it will be a, a, um, a unique chapel. We're going to have a special guest, and there will be a lot of music. Um, I, I think I speak for the entire community when I say the last few days have been um, a really special time for our college and for the community. Having uh, James White with us has been um, pretty amazing. He's, I think, spoken really um, clearly to our hearts. Um, he's pointed us to love and truth um, in relationship and in community. And most importantly, he's pointed us to Jesus. Um, I was just telling him it feels weird that he's leaving because it feels like um, something has just begun. Um, this is not the last time he will be with us. Uh, but if you would, um, as he comes up, give him a warm Scots welcome and a warm Scots thank you for being with us for the Imago Day Conference. It has been a gift being with you. Uh, and, and I would have to agree with, with Grant. Uh, I have, man, I've developed an even greater affection and love for him, but also for you and, and what it is that God is doing here. Now, you were yelling and shouting for the tornadoes. No, 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 no. I got to get home. I mean, I love you guys, but I miss my wife uh, deeply. Uh, but let me just say this. These last few days, and I agree, I feel like we've begun writing a story. And that is because God is at work. And that sounds overused, but our whole week has been about the image of God. There's some things that if you know me, by now as we've been together for these three days, that I am one. I, I, I think all too often Christians somehow separate when we talk about being created in the image of God, it gives us this broad reality that everywhere you really do see the image of God. One of the most probably popular songs, a song that has been covered and sung by over 60-some different artists, some even suggested that it was sung way too long when Shrek sung the song, in 1984, Leonard Cohen. And it's a, it's a song, and, and absolutely, Leonard Cohen has passed now, but it's a song that, that when I hear it, it just, it just makes you stop. And, and i never forget, when I first heard it, I thought, man, who's the Christian artist? Is this some new worship song? But then I, I listened to the words. This is where I wish I was a singing pastor, but I'm not. It says, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. I see, even the words almost put you into melody. The baffled king composed, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. you tied, she tied you to her kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair. 
and from your lips she drew the hallelujah. Oh, but that's the way. Whoa, wait a minute. When did Bathsheba tie David to the kitchen chair? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did Samson get tied to the kitchen chair? Was there a translation of the Bible that I missed? And I listened to the song again and again, and I thought, you know what? Now, those of us who understand original language, we know that hallelujah is a, is a sacred word. It, it, it means, and there's nuances to the meaning, but it's praise God. But, but wait a minute. Samson, David, man, maybe that's a misplaced hallelujah. Maybe hallelujah doesn't belong there. Because that's not exactly how the story was told. And I thought, man, love the song, but misplaced hallelujah. But you know what? So much of the story of God, and especially when you look at the story of his son, Jesus, so much of what it means, I think sometimes we miss the image of God, is because all too often throughout the scriptures, Jesus sometimes sort of misplaces hallelujah. That strangely enough, there's this call to say hallelujah in moments when you would think anything but hallelujah. One of those moments is in John chapter 11. Familiar story. A story that all too often is seen as a strange story. And it's this story to where when you really sum it up, it's, it's, it, it doesn't make sense when we think about it on the surface. It says, now a certain man was ill, John chapter 11, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, uh, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him. And the disciples said, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, and they thought he meant literal sleep. And Jesus then told them, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him again. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go so that we may die with him. 
It's so fascinating because it's like John is saying he loved Lazarus. He loved Martha and Mary. You know he loves Martha and Mary because he would often, that would be the place where he would go and find rest. That would be the place where you would often see him there surrounded with them around the meal. Well, if he loved them and he hears that he's sick, why is he waiting two more days? And then it's almost as if it's a misplaced hallelujah. What in the world are you talking about? Two more days. And we even see later, as I read, he's died. Why is that a good thing? Misplaced. Hallelujah. Often in the journey of history of our story, they're misplaced hallelujahs. How in the world? And I know we typically think, wait a minute, James, look, we have been, you're talking about the image of God. Do you have to keep going back to history? Why, Why do you go back? Okay, great. I know, 200 years of slavery, and, and yes, it was horrific. Yes, slave ship, people treated as property. Why do you keep going back there? Can't we just move forward? Well, I thought I was speaking to people who are biblical and who are Christian. And we know one of the strange things about us is that we always live understanding that time is a very different commodity than it is with the rest of the world. For those of us who are believers, we understand that that our lives are shaped by what happened 2,000 years ago. You know, to say you can't look at history might be to say you can't look at the cross. We also know that, that God mysteriously, that, that we're able to live in this crazy space of what happens now ends up in, impacting in eternity. We're the one people that really say we believe that what you do now echoes in eternity because we even say this prayer on earth as it is in heaven. So if anyone should be able to understand the dynamic of time and that what happened 200, 300, 400 years ago has everything to do with what's going on today. But when I look back in history, I see a misplaced hallelujah. In this text, God is operating so diametrically opposite. And it's confusing for the disciples because understand, the disciples know that things are getting at this point in John chapter 11 very dangerous for Jesus. And so we don't want to go to Judea, to Bethany, because we know that's close to Jerusalem. And they are going to kill Jesus. There's a, there's a hit out on you. They, they are going to take you out. And so Jesus is saying, again, the Bible, John says he loved him, but he waited. He didn't go. And, and now he's staying two days longer. And then it's confusing. It's saying he He's doing it so that God can be glorified by it, so that there will be a hallelujah, in other words. But then he says, let's go to Jerusalem. And the disciples are saying, uh, Rabbi, uh, they're going to try to stone you. Now, now, here's where I love, you know, some of us think we care about Jesus, but they don't really care about Jesus because they're disciples, because disciples are followers of Jesus. In other words, they're going, hey, uh, bro, they're going to hit you with rocks, and that means we get hit with rocks too. And you know they think it's bad news. You know they think there's no need of going because even they don't get it. They say, because Jesus said, look, we got to go because Lazarus is falling asleep. When the disciples say, well, gee, well, fine, great. If he's asleep, let my boy take a nap. And Jesus says, now he is dead. Let me make it clear to you. Lazarus has died. 
something has happened that will require the supernatural. Can I suggest to you that the reason why I always peer closely into our history, because the only way you can explain that there's even sanity with me as an African-American man that comes out of a legacy to where there was no store, there was no humanity for 200 and some years, the only way you can explain that is there has to be a God. I am created in his image. The reason why, again, you have to understand, even when we frame conversations about pro life. Why is it that African-American people sometimes question well-meaning believers who say they want to save lives in the womb? Because if Jesus was pro-life, why in the world didn't you do something? And because understand that This idea of life is precious to the African-American community. If you study, again, some some sources, some documents, you will know that many slave mothers would take their babies and throw them overboard because they didn't want their child to be brought into the tragedy of an American system where they would be enslaved. Oh, there's a value of life but a quality of life that goes well beyond the womb. That's always been the legacy and history of African-American people. And yet somehow God miraculously is able to give a hallelujah in even this place. But it was always strange for me because of the way we told the story. We would tell the story in ways that it was as if Africa had nothing to do. Because when you tell a story as if a people have nothing to contribute, you erase that and there is no hallelujah. But But I never realized until I went to college and read Augustine's City of God and Augustine's Confessions. And then when I understand so much of the the framing of even your thinking is by him, I always thought that Augustine was from Ireland or Scotland. I always thought that. Do you know how surprised I was? And it wasn't just some liberal makeup that I found out that Augustine was from Africa? What? Northern Africa? You say, well, James, what difference does that make? It makes all the difference in the world because you got to understand, there was a narrative that Africans had nothing to contribute. Misplaced. Hallelujah. And it wasn't just Augustine. It was Tertullian. It was Athanasius. It was, again, the genius that came out of Africa, the languages that came out of Africa. Do you know that maybe that would change the viewpoint of many young kids who think that thinking actually began with Europe? Misplaced. Hallelujah. But Jesus here says, listen, we've got to go. And you know Thomas says, what's the point? So look at what Thomas who follows him. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Verse 16. Let's go and die with him. Isn't it amazing that sometimes you feel like following Jesus leads to nothing but loss? Especially when it seems like the hallelujah is misplaced. But Jesus goes. 
And we know the rest of the story. You need to read it again uh, as, as well. But Jesus goes, and we know he's going, he's showing up. And, and when he shows up, I love this because you, you look at his identity in the midst of this misplaced situation. He goes and he first encounters uh, Martha. I like Martha. Uh, verse, the, the text says in verse, uh, verse 17, it says, When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he's four days late. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And when the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their above, I, listen to my girl Martha, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained in the house. Martha said, what? Coming? Okay. Yeah, right. All right. I got something to say to Jesus. I just think Martha had some sister up in her. You know what I'm saying? I just think Martha had attitude. And you could tell she had attitude. She says what? Her, her words, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. Don't, don't even try to come. Don't, even, don't try to show up now. Who does he think he is? Four days late. So she goes and she's trying to be respectful. If you had have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 22, she's trying to be respectful. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said to him, look, don't give me no theological lesson. You know how Christians would do. You know how people do where you get in your painful moments, they come giving you these theological lectures. Oh, well, God is sovereign and everything. Now she said, don't, don't tell me that. She said, look, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Look, I read the Torah. I get it, Jesus. I know who you are. I was listening when you came into our house. And then Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he shall, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha, I'm resurrection right now. Martha, you, you're thinking of the past and the future, Martha. That's where you're stuck. But Martha, here's what do you believe. I am resurrection. Wherever I show up, there is life. Even in the midst of death, I am the one who puts hallelujah in its proper place. I am the resurrection and the life. That is why be careful if you name the name of Jesus. You're, if you're talking about being restored into the image of God. Because we are the people who rather than arguing from one political side or the other, we are the people who are saying that sociologically this is just the way things have to be, that when we show up, there should be answers because he is the resurrection and the life. Don't ask me what your parents are going to do. Don't ask me what the next generation is going to do. But what are you going to do, covenant? Because when Jesus shows up, hallelujah gets put in its right place. But when we misplace it, we have hallelujahs at the wrong time. Jesus is going to show up at a funeral where the body has already been buried. And you know what I love about the text? Look at what happens when he shows up and Mary greets him as well. But Mary has a different perspective. She is weeping. She is mourning. And, and Jesus does something here that is so powerful. In verse 34, he says, where have you laid him? Then in verse 35, the most powerful scripture in the Bible. Now, growing up in Sunday school, this used to be my go-to verse. 
Now, many of you have probably never been in churches like this, but in the church I grew up in, they would torture kids because you had to go up in front of the church and give a Bible verse. I know some of y'all don't know this, but you'd have to go up in front of the church and you had to go up in front of the whole church. Now, you need to understand the beauty, again, of the African-American, traditional African-American church, which some of us have abandoned and think is anti-intellectual, is they understood the psychological needs of children. Because in the African-American church, it was the first place where many people received applause. So if you were a child, even if you messed up your verse, they would still, oh, baby, yes! And that's because they knew that this would be the one gathering that would be affirmation because in a Jim Crow world, there wouldn't be any other affirmation. It's so sad that evangelicals have deconstructed the African-American church. But this was my go-to verse. Jesus wept. <laughs> oh, yes! Can I tell you, it's my go-to verse now. Because even in the misplaced hallelujah, I've got a Savior that will weep with me. Even when things are going wrong, I've got a Savior that cries with me. Even when other people are saying, get over it, let's move on, I'm so glad I've got a Savior who engages in my emotional pain. Some of you, the best thing you can do when someone is hurting deeply is weep with them. And yes, isn't it misplaced? Because he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He said this would be for the glory of God. I have very little patience for believers who can't weep with me. I have very little patience. It is not the image of God if you can't enter into the struggles of a person's pain. We were wrong with Trayvon Martin. We were wrong with Mike Brown and his body laying in the street. We were wrong to bring solutions that what about the police and blue lives matter and all lives matter. That was wrong because the first response for us is to be like Jesus in a, in a situation. We said hallelujah at the wrong time and trying to construct it at the wrong time. We should have wept. We need to weep. Whenever a life is lost, Jesus weeps, but too often we have hallelujah in the wrong place because this is an actual image of Greenville, South Carolina, 1940, when 20 taxicab drivers got away with lynching someone. This is an actual picture of the celebration in the courtroom. But Jesus... In the midst of this, he says, where did you lay him? Martha shows up again. Are you kidding me, Jesus? First of all, you're late. Now you want to go messing things up. Now you want to go saying, where did you lay him. Look at what it says in verse 38. It says, then Jesus deeply grew, grieved, came again to the tomb. It was a cave. The stone was against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister said of the dead man, said, Lord, now she's trying to be respectful, uh, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for days. She's going, are you kidding me, Jesus? Now you want to stink up the place. You're late, you didn't come here in time, so now you want to open up 
the body. It would be like showing up a funeral and opening up the casket. Why in the world are you going to do that? Look at what Jesus says to her. Uh, Martha, I thought you said you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life. This is an image from Life magazine. Carolyn Bryant is there with her husband and brother-in-law because they've just been set free. No charges. When they too murdered and lynched 14-year-old Emmett Teal. And here recently, Carolyn Bryant confessed that her husband and not just her brother-in-law, did lynch Emmett Till. But you know what Mamie Till decided? I saw this image as a little boy in a magazine that was an African-American publication called Jet Magazine. I'll never forget this image. Mamie Till says, open the casket. I want the world to see what was done to my son Emmett. Open the casket. Open caskets have always been a part of, again, the reality of life for many. And it's almost as if she's saying, open the casket so you can see what death has accomplished. The same was true of Dr. Martin Luther King. That image stays in my mind, an open casket. And I know for us, we typically want to close the casket. We typically say there's no way that the image of God, can anything can happen. You've got to close the casket. But Jesus says, open the stone. Here's what makes the difference. Jesus says, it says, in lifting up his eyes, he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I knew that you always hear me, but he said, on account of these people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and feet were bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Some of us typically think there's no way anything good can come out of this, but I'm so glad that God calls us to open the casket because when Jesus speaks into the casket, when he speaks into places of death and lack of hope, then that's where life really does come forth. And maybe what God wants to do is put hallelujah in his proper place. But it requires looking into places we don't want to look, journeying in ways we don't want to journey, weeping when we don't want to weep. See, when I look here at these images, don't look away, but this is Alabama. This is Montgomery. These are water hoses. These are people who are saying, we're going to have hallelujah even though we will have to sacrifice for it, even though it's distorted that, that people in America, they don't see that we're created in the image of God. But we're going to do something. We're going to have the audacity to protest, let them abuse us, and then not fight back, not be violent. Why? Because we're going to open the casket so that America can see it's hard. 
And I'm here today because there were men, women, and children, not just Dr. Martin Luther King, who said, we're going to put hallelujah in its proper place. Last image. I'm going to close with this. I looked at this image and stared at this image and thought, man, this is really putting hallelujah in its proper place. A team of African-American leaders working on a Ku Klux Klan, serving that team in an ER doing surgery. And I almost got emotional and I just thought, wow, this is what hallelujah looks like. (laughs) Then I did research. and found out it was a doctor picture. It wasn't true. And I thought, well, can't say hallelujah to that. <laughs> then I did soul searching. And I said, God, where's going to be our image that puts hallelujah in its proper place? Will you be the leaders that will find a solution to some of the cultural problems that someone says there are no solutions for? Will some of you help rewrite history in such a way that that we won't be relegated to February being African American History Month, but will some of you become teachers and make sure that history is taught within the curriculum? Will you go back and tell some people at home as well that there's some things that haven't been taught correctly about Augustine, about Africa? Will you go back and let some people know why in the world are you afraid to go to a continent that's a place of beauty and has always been a place of beauty and hope? Will you go back and correctly help some people understand again that we've said hallelujah in the wrong place and that the very Bible has civilizations and people who look like me who have something to contribute. Will you help us get hallelujah in the right place? No more misplaced hallelujah because we serve a Savior who says roll away the stone, open up the casket. We're going to look into our darkest places because where there is Jesus, resurrection and life, there is hope. And that will intellectually confuse the thinkers of the future because you're really making sure that time has its appropriate place because Jesus indeed is our hope. Why? Because we're created in our image. And because we're created in our image, this image doesn't have to be a mirage, but it can be a reality. So my hope for us is let's put hallelujah in its right place. How can we do it? In the name of the one who is never late, who's still saying, Open the casket, because I'm resurrection and the life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that there are moments even in my life right now that maybe hallelujah needs to be reconstructed. And God, here's what's so incredible, that, that first image that I showed, the image of a slave ship, John Newton put hallelujah in its proper place. And John Newton, the slave trader, would would say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
I was blind. I didn't understand the Imago Dei, but now I see. Would you help us to see clearly? Thank you that we are created in your image. And it's in the name of the one who's still saying, open the casket, we pray. Amen.